Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Welcome to the 2X Podcast. Here's your host, Bill Kasky. Hey, welcome back to the 2X Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Kasky. Today, we've got a special guest. His name is Andy Paul. But before we get to the interview, I want to give you a couple of heads up. One is, if you have not done your 2019 planning, I've got a free video series. Just go to BillKasky.com. Near the top, you can select the 2X Quick Start. It's a three-part video series that walks you through how to do your plan. It talks about your personal skill sets, some of your vision, how you're going to accomplish your goals for 2019. It's not specifically for 2019, but this is a really good time of year to do that planning. So go there and download. It's totally free, and I think it'll help you. And also, you can share it with your team, too, because if you have a team of people, then it's uh, really good to collaborate for planning for 2019. Also, if you are a sales leader, sales manager, sales director, VP of sales, we've got a, an ongoing series of webinars that I'd like you to sign up for and roll in. They're free, and it's a one-hour webinar called Rise of the World-Class Sales Leader. You can get there by going to billkasky.com forward slash rise webinar, rise webinar. It'll take you right to the registration page and you can uh, consume that. I think you'll like it. If you're a leader of a team, a sales team specifically, I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. So now here's my interview with Andy Paul. Well, today we are really blessed to have a, a thought leader in the sales arena on with us, Andy Paul. Andy is the uh, host of Accelerate with Andy Paul, a podcast you should be listening to, and also founder of The Sales House. And we'll get into a little bit more about what that is and what it means. But Andy, welcome. Bill, thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you again. I think uh, I might have been on your podcast. You have? Did we do this a couple of years ago, a few years ago? I would say two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. 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 Being a podcaster and podcast listener, I'm always listening for people out there who not necessarily think exactly the same way, but have some common themes and the values are there. And I've always felt like whenever I've read anything from you, I've always felt like uh, we have a little bit of common vibe with, with how we see the world. So mm -hmm. why don't you give us, a, give my listeners a minute or two on what you're doing, who you are, how you got to this point where you're uh, teaching and training and coaching and creating content for sales. Sure. Well, probably not too dissimilar from you as I, yeah, I was in sales for a long time. So before I started my own company in 2000, I was 25 years primarily in technology sales. And and for the bulk of that was startups, growing companies, big com you know, companies from small companies to big companies. But I started off selling for Burroughs. You probably remember Burroughs back oh, yeah. in the day. So it was great training ground for learning how to be in sales. And worked my way through, eventually got in communications business, satellite communications, uh, where I was selling multi-million dollar deals to really large enterprises and start my own company. The thought is, hey, this is, we were startups and we were selling mission critical network applications against, we had no track record, no brand name against companies that had track records and brand names. And we want a ton of business. How do we do it? 
And I thought, okay, these are lessons we could go teach to smaller companies yeah. to how to compete against the big guys. Started my company to help companies with that. Did that for about 10 years uh, as a mentor before, then moved to New York City from San Diego. Let's look at something different. What else could I do with myself here uh, since I sort of moved away from my base of business? And in the idea, I wrote my first book and that sort of took me by surprise. What's the name of the book? What was the name it's of the book? Zero Time Selling. Won an award and sold a bunch of copies and sort of set me on this path of quote unquote thought leadership, if yeah. you will. Which you know led to a second book and the podcast and the sales house where we are today. You've been in the in the business of selling for a while, and uh, you've obviously seen trends come and go. You've seen fads mm-hmm. come and go. You've seen methodologies come and go. To tell me what. Give me two or three things that you're observing today that's really making a difference for sales professionals seeing the people at the top and then the people at the bottom and everywhere in between. What are some observable things you're seeing that are really distinguishing between those groups? Well, I mean, I think the thing that that is the constant, you know, you talked about in the, the open is that those people are focusing on the human to human aspect of sales, right? We've got all this technology rushing into sales and there's a tendency I want to say, okay, well, this is going to make it easier. This is going to, you know, re- eliminate some of the need I have to really get into the into the dirt with the prospects. You know, technology will make it simpler and it's just not the case, right? I'm just gonna, have them fill out a form and then I'll just go fill see. out a form, right. The people who are succeeding are those who are a little bit old school, if you will, and saying, you know, this ability to connect with another human, to engage their interests, to build trust, to inspire them to go on this journey together, those are still the qualities that the top performers have. Through all the fads, all the changes in methodologies, this is really outside of methodology. This is, these are human exactly. that we exactly. talk about. And yeah, whenever I hear, I'm sorry to interrupt, I interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead. Whenever I hear a company talked about, whoa, 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 our methodology, I always feel like, where in the methodology is that human, human being to human being? You talk about the journey. It's not about trying to get somebody to do something that you want them to do. It's about in, it's about enrolling them in a journey and you, you finding out where they're going and you can mm-hmm. be a guide along, alongside them. But this idea of command and control and convince and persuade, it feels like, it feels like that has the opposite effect of what we want it to. Well, and I think that you and I were of a generation where that was taught a lot. I rebelled against it from the beginning. I thought, A, it didn't align with me as a person. Yeah. And B, I didn't see that it worked. It didn't work for me. I, I sort of went the opposite way. Is yeah, I focus on the relationships. Yeah, I worked in technical business, extremely complex technical businesses for decades. I'm not a technical person. Yeah. So which was a from, plus, <laughs> right? Well, to some degree, but I needed to have those technical resources at the right time. But right. for me, it was about being human, asking the right questions, listening to people's answers, helping them get to where they wanted to go. And there's a quote I have in my second book, Amp Up Your Sales, from Jeff Bezos. It was an interview I'd seen in, in Harvard Business Review with him. Where he you know, had the statement I thought was encapsulated sales better than perhaps anything I'd ever seen. He said, you know, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make purchase decisions. Yeah, And it's like, that's your job in sales to build a relationship, to help a customer make a purchase decision. So number one, then the thing you see is that is the human connection is still important. And sometimes that human connection is coming the way we're doing this on video. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that is a whole different thing we don't have to get into today, but just I've noticed I always, I love it when I interview pros because they have really good microphones and I can hear them and the audio is crystal clear and people on my podcast always give me static because I'm always talking about it. 
And I think that's a little tiny thing that's, you might say, well, what microphone you have is tactical, but if you're communicating online with people and they cannot hear you, Mm -hmm. or you're using something that sounds like it's a hundred feet away, a microphone, I think that gets in the way of us being, of of us serving people. Obviously face to face, there's no problem. Well, I'm, I'm speaking, they're listening, they're speaking. But when you're online, when you're doing communication digitally, you got to make sure everything kind of works similarly to the way it works face-to-face. Well, and that's being considerate of the other person, right? As you're thinking about the buyer, not yourself. And so it's not about your convenience. It's about what do they need? And it's always been the case. And I, and I think that I'm not think, I believe that as we continue to have more technology come into sales, as AI plays a larger role, which undoubtedly it's going to, is that the ability to form these human connections actually has become more important mm-hmm. because... As the more machines get involved, the more commoditized the experience of buying becomes. And so how do you differentiate your company and your offering from the other one? Well, it's the human that's going to do that. And the fact is that people still go on humans to validate the decisions they're making, right? That's the role of the salesperson to a large extent as this advisor. Somebody wants somebody to bounce ideas off of, to validate it. They've done research in medical fields where already computers can examined through AI can come up with, you know, decisions about decision support, let's say, for patients that, you know, should I have surgery, should I not have a heart procedure done or not? They don't want to talk to a machine yeah. about that. They want to talk to a person about yeah. it. Doesn't matter. The machine might have the better answer. They want it to come from a human. So what's another uh, observation you make about f- people that are succeeding today and what they're doing? Well, I mean, it's sort of aligned with that is that they're, they're using the technology, but they're using it in the way that that supplements the human-to-human aspect, not trying to replace it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen all this wonderful technology, many of it, you know, some really good stuff been developed over the last five years, flow into sales. But you look at the, the data that's generated from CSO Insights and Forrester and other companies saying, yeah, but during the same period, actually sales performance, as we measure by certain data points, like percentage of reps attaining quota, it's actually falling. It's gone down. Yeah. So, so... <laughs> these two things are occurring at the same time. I don't know there's necessarily a correlation, but I think that I think we haven't learned how to use the technology. I and I also think it doesn't go far enough. On my show, I've interviewed a lot of CEOs, founders of uh, software companies, sales tools companies. And one of the questions is usually, okay, well, well, how does your tool help the buyer make a decision? I understand how it helps you send more emails and, and create a cadence for selling, but how does it help your buyer make a decision? Because I think until they close that gap, then we don't really have technology as, as usable as it could be. We love to talk about our own stuff. And we, we sometimes struggle with putting our own value into customer perceptions and things they can understand. Well, and I think aligned with that, too, is this idea of productivity, which I talk a lot about is, is right now this whole idea of productivity and sales is doing more. Right. If I can just make more calls, if I can just send out more emails. And I look at productivity the same way an economist would, right? It's a rate of output per unit of input. What I'm interested in is, well, okay, well, how many dollars of revenue can I generate per hour of selling time? And that that to me is productivity. Now no one looks at it that way, or very few people look at it that way. I actually was fortunate and early in my career work for a company that that's how we looked at it. (laughs) That's because that's how we measured it. But it it's having done that, it's hard to go back because that really dictates whether you're being productive or not effective rather than how many calls I'm making or how many proposals I've. Right. I mean, created. sales is sales is a numbers game at, at heart. And so a lot of these new technologies enable you to really do this on a mass right. scale. 
So what they're accepting is, yeah, I can, I can do a massive activity, generate leads and interest on top of the funnel. And I'm only going to close a pretty small percentage of those, but that's okay. Cause as long as I do that, I continue to grow, but it assumes that you're playing in sort of an infinitely large field that you can sort of, you know, always scoop up a huge number of prospects. Not many companies operate in that way. Yeah. Especially in the tech world. Mm-hmm. There's um, my daughter, both my daughters are in tech which if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would they have even gone close to tech? No, but one, one of my daughters, even a technical advisor, she's with a, a company that does a lot of email software. And, mm-hmm. and she was in, she was an SDR or BDR or whatever the, right. whatever the acronym is today, but it was all about numbers. It was all about just, it wasn't, I mean, technically it wasn't about numbers. It was about leads and, and revenue, but they managed, the managers managed everything as if it was about, because we know if you make a hundred calls, you're going to talk to five people. And I always feel like, what if we made 30 calls and had 10 better conversations? Exactly. We weren't, we weren't needing to rush through this call to get to the next call. Could we have closed five times as much? And I always feel like, yeah, that probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, this gets to a point that that's huge with me is that, and I've written about this, about why we need to stop using quota as a, as a measure. I saw that. That's actually the article that prompted yes. me to call you. I thought it was an awesome. Well, I want to get into that, but go ahead. But there was an article today in the, the New York Times uh, written by one of their uh, columnists, kind of economic columnist, Dave Leonard, and or Leonard, I forget how you pronounce the name, but he's saying, look, we have this problem in, in the economy is we're using the wrong measures to measure the health of the economy and it goes through a really cogent explanation about why unemployment rates, the way we measure them, don't reflect what's really happening. Why why they may have at one point, but they don't say GDP, the way we measure it's not a, a, you know, a reliable indicator of what's really happening in the economy and suggest these alternatives. Well, we've got the same problem in sales. <laughs> we, yeah. We're using metrics that I think, per the discussion I just had about productivity, don't really reflect what's really going on. And as a result, we're still sort of you know, we're trying to manage, what other business are we trying to manage based on the ways we were still managing a hundred years ago? (laughs) Which is fundamentally what we're doing. It is. Yeah. And then we develop, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not throwing cold water on some of these concepts because I think like the client success team, you know, that now there's this big motion move to client success. Mm -hmm. Really to me, all that is, is just how do we retain our clients? That, that's it's, really the goal of a client success team. It's really not about our client success. It's about our success with the clients. Yes. Not always. Not always. I know some of you listening will say, oh, that's not. But, you know, that would be an interesting way to measure our productivity and our value is by measuring their success. I mean, have you grown mm-hmm. your business as a result of this email server? Have you, by the fact of the training, have, have, have your profit numbers gone up? And what is your success? But I don't think that's really... I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not close enough to it. Maybe you are, but that's not really, we don't really care, do we, about client success other than are they staying a client of ours? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I don't think that's cynical at all. I think that's, that's the reality. And, and yeah, we, we don't really tie compensation or rewards to the fact the customer is actually driving the value out of the, the product or service that we said they're going to. And That'd be cool. That'd be a cool, at least a section of my comp should be if I'm an account manager or client success manager is if their business is growing up, my income is going up. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, we've created, because I think of technology to some degree is we've created this perverse set of incentives oftentimes for managers and, you know, perfect one is pipeline coverage. And I'm sure your, your daughter's experiences working as SDR BDRs, 
is, or maybe as AEs is, you know, you go into a company and they're using the inside sales model and suddenly their AEs is like, well, you need to 4X your pipeline every month yeah. <laughs> or 5X your pipeline every month. So what you're doing is you're institutionalizing this really low close rate because what you're saying right. is I'm going to give you an incentive to put a bunch close of... Close 6% of the deals. So you may need a hell of a lot more deals. Like, wait a minute, why aren't I closing yeah. 40% of the deals? Well, exactly. But we're giving them the incentive to put all this crap into their pipeline. And because that's the only way you're going to fill it up. <laughs> you can't yeah. fill it up with good prospects. So you fill it up with crap. That's and right. I, there was a company earlier this year I went and visited. And the CEO was talking about, well, we're increasing that to 7 to 9x. <laughs> like rolling my eyes and, and saying, you understand what this is going to do, right? In terms of types of quality of prospects right. of buyers you're pulling into your pipeline. Right. They're going to be crap. Yeah. It's not worth your time. Why are you doing it? But because yeah, it's, so because it's all about the numbers. If, if I yeah. really believe it's all about the numbers, that's the only solution I can find is to, is to ratchet up the top end number. Or, well, but to your point, exactly. Is, is, so I had a conversation with the CRO of this very prominent SaaS company at a conference a few months ago. And I said, so let's talk about your growth plans and so on. And he says, well, we've got this finely tuned machine that we can generate all this activity in the top of funnel. And I just keep adding SDRs, you know, we can close, you know, a certain fraction of those. I said, so well, let me, let me guess. I said, you know, your close rate out of the pipeline is 20%, which is basically what SAS says. One out of five. And so he's sort of... One out of five proposed or closed? Or quality, what? yeah. Okay. And, and he's sort of silent. And I said, well, yeah, it's okay. I didn't, you know, no inside information. It's just what, you know, you guys all do. I said, so when you think about growth, did it ever occur to you that instead of investing heavily at the top of the funnel and to add more SDRs, is let's increase your close rate from 20 to 25. And it was just dead silence. <laughs> it had never occurred to him that that's an alternative. You know, and this is the way, this is the way, you know, new managers are being brought up certainly in, in some of the SaaS space and so on is, no, it's all about, you know, this number and we don't really care about the close rate. And if you think about profitability, you think about ease of growth, I, mean, I think it's a hell of a lot easier oh. to increase your close rates and focus on that than to continually worry about how do you increase the level of activity at the top of your funnel. Let's talk about the, the no quota thing for a moment. We're, we're sure. speaking today with Andy Paul. Andy has a podcast called, called Accelerate with Andy Paul and also the Sales House. Uh, what, what's the website people can go to to find out more about that? Is it saleshouse.com? Thesaleshouse.com. Thesaleshouse.com. Yeah. Okay. And Andy, is, uh, we've, we've been on each other's shows here in the past. I was particularly interested in your email that you sent out the other day. I'm on your list and need to get on Andy's list. He's got some really good you've got good content because it kind of makes you like, oh, wait a minute, let me think about it. This kind of blows my mind a little bit, but let me think about what this is. You had one on no quota. Let's talk right. about that. What, what, what's the whole idea there? Well, the idea being is, and sort of playing off what we talked about before, if, if we have such a, a low percentage of quotas, of, excuse me, of reps actually attaining quota, which is what now is less, that number? Well, it's less than 50%. Less than 50, yeah. But it's been dropping year over year for the last seven years, according to CSO Insights. So if indeed we're at that point where you know, fewer than 50% of the reps are making it, hasn't it lost its value as a measure of performance? You know, something else needs to come into to play. And so there's this economic law called Goodhart's Law, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, which says that when, when a measure becomes a target, it loses its value as a measure, which is just what quotas become. Yeah, yeah, it's, become a, it's become a target. So I get back to this conversation we had about productivity, is isn't something like productivity a more relevant measure for reps? Is you know how productive are you being 
per hour of selling time. And we know that reps are sort of stuck at like 30% of their time. They're actually engaged in selling. And that's, you and I have been in sales about the same time, same length of time. They've been trying to move the needle on that for decades and it hasn't really ever changed. So let's just say, let's stop trying to change it. Let's just say it's going to be 30%. That's what it is. <laughs> and, and within that 30%, how do we make you more productive? And so I said at one point in my career, I worked for a couple of companies where we actually, we measured things that way. We had to because it's the way the company was set up. There were companies that were split of defense and commercial. And so we had to track everybody's hours as if they were all defense workers, even though on the commercial side of the business. And so I knew every time we had a prospect, we assigned a job number to him. So I knew, you know, to the 30 minute interval, how much time we were spending in every deal. And I could correlate hours invested to the size of the deal or the likelihood of winning. You think we can't collect that data? Of course we can collect that data. And that's, this, is, this is what we have to start turning to is say, okay, you, John, you know, your quota was $2 million for the year, but you took 2,000 selling hours to do that, including you plus your sales engineer and so on. Whereas Joe over here, he sold $2 million and he only took 1,000 hours to do yeah. it. Yeah. So what, let's break down the difference and let's see, how do we get John to be as productive as Joe? Yeah. And maybe you take a week, you know, a week, a month off. I mean, this is not just about pouring more. It's not, not about grinding more. It's about maybe you take a week, a month off and go and, and create content to help you get generate even more business. Right. Um, and, or, you know, learn something. Or I mean, learn, yeah. Right. That's, that's the thing is what I saw when I was managing people that way as well. Gosh, we had differences and skill sets that we could, that's a lever we could move yeah. that no one ever really thinks about. We had differences sort of in business acumen level. Okay. We could get, make, make people smarter about that. Maybe some people are just better at the relationship building behaviors. Well, we can certainly right. pull that lever. But right now, the only levers people look at is, more calls, more calls, and do a better presentation type thing. But I mean, relatively few. The same levers we've been pulling for decades. So, isn't it time? Target. <laughs> isn't it time to look at different levers? And the nope. thing so discouraging. Nope. Thirty years, thirty more years, Andy. I think it'll change. <laughs> well, and the thing that's so discouraging is that we've got this new generation full of really smart people, and they're all hooked on this model that is so rigid and yeah. so based on compliance yeah. to a process rather than innovating. And the irony is they're using it in companies that were created to disrupt markets. And yet they use yeah, these sales processes. Yeah. They're most rigid yeah. compliant. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, I, I tend to look at inputs and outputs. I think what we do is we, we are looking at outputs and we, we get so obsessed with the outputs, which is how many leads, how many discussions that we're not looking at, well, what are the inputs that, that go into that? And I had a guy about, uh, actually, this gentleman uh, passed away. I don't think it was because of this question that I asked him, but <laughs> but he did. <laughs> he had a company, and and uh, this was five or six years ago. And he had a very technical company. I said, "Your your people are really smart. They need to be need to be writing. They need to be writing articles and putting on LinkedIn and and writing things that customers will reach out, find it, and say, "Man, I need I need this guy." He goes, "I don't want my people writing articles. I want them out in the field calling on." Uh, prospects. I remember that because I thought, well, that's an old way to look at a new world. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that that was going to fix any problem. But if I'm not even thinking about how can I alter my inputs a little bit, I've got a client who started podcasting about two years ago. And instead of making cold calls on Wednesday morning, he does a podcast and he gets it out to thousands of people and his yep. business started to take off because now yep. he's got, and it's a whole lot more effective and fun podcasting than make, picking up the phone, talking to 90 people who don't want to talk to you. 
So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andy. Uh, I find Andy to be one of the really sensible thought leaders in the sales and and achievement space today. And uh, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Actually, we did a part two that was only about 10 minutes long, but we had some technical difficulties. So we may come back here in a few months and redo that part of the interview. But I wanted to uh, get this in your hands. And once again, if you want more from me, go to BillKasky.com. Plenty of freebies, plenty of videos, plenty of audios, plenty of blogs and articles, and pretty much anything you'd need to improve your business. Talk to you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the 2X Podcast. If you'd like to contact Bill, email him at Bill at BillKasky.com or follow him on Twitter at BillKasky.com.